0: Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags.
1: Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Welcome, evolutionaries. You're listening to Voice of Evolution Radio, and I'm Jeff Henler. Let me bring it back to what we did before. Hey, Jeff, you're warbling a bit. Can you stop for a minute? No, I don't want to be warbling. All right, let me see. I'm going to turn off my video and see if it just speeds things up. Okay, good. If that helps out at all, I don't know. Let's try Let's see. Right. Okay, so testing one, two, three. How, how am I sounding now? Now you're sounding good. Okay, that's cool. Okay. All right, let's knock it out of the park. All right, I'm here if you need me. Thanks. Cue music. You're welcome. Cueing music in three, two, and one. Welcome to Voice of Evolution Radio. Conversations that awaken, inspire, and activate. With tonight's host, Jeff. Welcome, evolutionaries. You're listening to Voice of Evolution Radio, and I'm Jeff Hendler. This is part two of a program we're calling First Contact with the Keeper of Soul's Purpose. It's still a bit surreal, and uh, we're just going to go with the flow, like we did the last time around. And the last time around, which was part one of our conversation with the Keeper, he spoke about humans being multidimensional beings and how our perception of ourselves and others can be corrupted by ego. In fact, how some of what we see playing out in the world today is a result of these variables in human nature and our environment. If you haven't listened to the first part yet, I highly recommend it. And it's available on demand through our website at www.thevoiceofevolution.com. We're going to speak with him again today, and I'm hoping we can get to more answers about some of the things he left hanging. Keeper, are you there?
0: There? I'm not sure where there is. I'm here, if that's what you're asking.
1: Yes, that's what I meant. <laughs> Great. And how are you today?
0: Now, I think the way you would answer that question is, I'm well, thank you. How are you?
1: Thanks. And yes, polite inquiry about someone is typically how we do it here. Sometimes the answer is just as polite, I guess, and not an accurate description of how someone really is. And I'm wondering, how would you usually answer that question?
0: Oh, that question doesn't exist for me. I just am. And I'm what I am. We just are. We are what we are.
1: So there's no moods or emotions? There's no small talk in the soul's realm?
0: Well, if you were in my realm, Jeff, I would know what I need to know about you and you about me. There's no spoken language as such, so I'm having an interesting time understanding how that works for you. And I'm still getting used to it, to be honest.
1: Well, let me tell you, Keeper, you're doing a great job with that. And hey, I am so curious about what's going to transpire here.
0: Well, I sense that my legitimacy may still be in question, so I'm going to make whatever answers I can available, at least the answers I'm able to share. You may find some of them unsettling, but they are the answers all the same.
1: Thanks for jumping right into that unsettling part. And I'd like to jump right in too, if I may. Use an expression keeper at the end of our last broadcast that I've been thinking about since you said it. The soul's waiting room. So let's begin there and ask, what is the soul's waiting room?
0: I call it a waiting room because it's a place in which waiting for something occurs. Did I get that right?
1: Yes, and uh, I like that idea. So what takes place in the soul's waiting room?
0: When a soul is ready to make the journey to the human realm, it's drawn into the waiting room and to a purpose. If there's a purpose on the list, there's a soul in the waiting room. And if there's a soul in the waiting room, there's a purpose on the list.
1: I see, so it's some kind of divine order to things.
0: Well, yes, and yet choice is also present, or at least what feels like choice, as I think about that. Every soul finds its way into the waiting room when it's ready to take the next step. And who's to say that isn't by some divine order? Souls come and go, young souls and old souls taking the next step in their evolution. Think of it as an ongoing cycle, 360,000 humans born each day, and approximately 150,000 humans die each day.
1: Wow. I had no idea that more than twice as many were coming as going.
0: Overpopulation is something we're going to talk about at a later date, as well as the impact it's having on the three lenses. Oh, do I need to remind humanity about those lenses? Yes, probably, and uh, may I? Be my guest. Thanks. Oh, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? You can be my guest for a minute. <laughs>
1: Why not? Anyhow, you told us last time that the information you're sharing is coming to us through the three lenses. The human-soul connection.
0: Now that's the one I want to talk more about today, Jeff.
1: Perfect. And then the other two lenses, the environment and evolution itself.
0: Very good, Jeff. That's it. Exactly.
1: I did my homework, Keeper. Okay, so getting back to the soul's waiting room. If every soul has a purpose, why are we struggling so much as humans? I mean, some of us have that awareness of purpose, and then some of us don't. But why can't we simply remember what the purpose is, and wouldn't that be so much easier for us humans?
0: I like how you say that some of us have that awareness, and some of us don't. Because there are some humans who live their lives without once thinking about their life purpose at all. They just live it.
1: I envy those people at times.
0: Well, some of that has to do with the incarnated soul, or more specifically, the age of the soul and its next step in the journey. We're only ready for what we are ready to experience. And I think you may be talking more about human life purpose than soul's purpose when you say that you don't have any awareness of what your purpose is. A soul always knows its purpose. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, I think so. And um, so it's really the human purpose that we're struggling with.
0: Actually, it's a bit more complex than that. It's the soul's purpose struggling with the variables that determines how a life purpose plays out. The soul may struggle because human variables aren't favorable to the discovery or full expression of its purpose but the soul will always find a way more on that in a few minutes. If you recall our last conversation about enlightenment and ego, ego is always one of the variables in third dimension being. So maybe this is a good time to review the dimensions.
1: It probably is. Keeper, I'm going to let you do that one.
0: So the dimensions are simply levels of energy, each one preparing for the next level of energy. Think of them like shadows. First, it's very dark. Then it's not so dark. Then it's lighter and it finally brighter until it's incredibly bright. I think that's a good image for you and your listeners, yes?
1: Yes, I think so. Yeah, thanks. So each dimension reveals more consciousness.
0: Yes. When I speak of third dimension being, this is where most of humanity exists. There are many shadows here, the pull of ego, pride, separateness, all the feelings of better than or less than in that human story, different opinions and beliefs and the fears that go along with them. And because beings on your planet don't all exist at the same level of dimension, some humans have a heightened sense of compassion and connection to the intangible, while others don't believe anything they can't see. All of this has to do with the age of the soul and what it's coming to experience. Evolution is always working silently in the background, and in the environment, too, as souls come and go.
1: So just to keep things in context, you haven't yet mentioned the first and second dimensions. Can you say something about them?
0: They're the building blocks of the third dimension. They are essential to the process, but where it really begins for human experience, Jeff, is the third dimension of being. Well, for the sake of this conversation, at least. You wouldn't be here without these first three. It's where you all start.
1: And apparently it's where we've all stayed. Inside editorial voice coming up. Oh,
0: no, that was an important context to set, Jeff. Thanks for that. The weight or the pull, it's the third dimension being, only decreases as one enters fourth dimension being. And things will get messier for a time when you do that, while you shed those things that weigh you down, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, the shadows that I spoke of. Even those connected to higher frequencies do so within their own limitations. There's a mystery in everything, until there isn't. This is the energy in the bridge of fourth dimensional being, which leads humans ultimately into that fifth dimension.
1: What about that one?
0: I'd like to pause for just a moment, Jeff, just to make sure there's no further clarification required.
1: Appreciate that. Thanks. And uh, as you know, Keeper, we said this the last time that there's some fact-checking our listeners can do. And Linda and I also, we're going to be connecting with guests who can add their expertise to the science and the sacred behind our conversations.
0: Other humans?
1: Humans, yes. Uh, Keeper, you're the only otherworldly being that I know.
0: Well, that might be a point of contention, but I'll let it pass for now. Shall I continue?
1: (laughs) If you're good to go, so am I. Please
0: Fifth dimensional being is the beginning of fully awakening, of beginning to remember everything. Once you're in fifth dimensional being, the needing and wanting don't pull you as they did before. You're without fear and love is unconditional. It's a really transformational dimension.
1: Remembering everything. Uh, You've caught my attention with that one, Keeper. Can you be more specific?
0: I'm not sure how much more specific I can be. (laughs) Can you help me out a bit here?
1: I guess I'm just assuming there's there's a lightness in how you're describing that remembering. And yet, for me, it does feel a bit heavy at the moment. It's like it's a lot of responsibility to remember everything. Will that happen for all humanity? And if so, when will it happen?
0: Oh, not for ages and ages. Although there will be some who begin that journey sooner than others. And there are many who've begun that journey already, actually. Remember, it's just a start. There are actually 12 levels in all, each opening more of a portal to all that exists without explanation.
1: For 12, really 12 dimensions? Uh, Are we going to cover all 12?
0: For now, five is all we really need to talk about. Here's what I'll add all energy that is, or ever was, to use your way of thinking of things, is right here on the planet and around us, Jeff. As frequencies increase, lower frequencies lose sight of them, and yet they are still here. As you open yourselves to the mystery and possibility, the bridge to beginning to see and hear things will appear, remembering everything, if you will.
1: It's just feeling really huge at the moment. Um, However, I do remember you saying, we're each on our own journey and exactly where we're supposed to be. Although I've got to tell you, Keeper, I am mystified by some of this.
0: Well, embrace the mystification of it all, Jeff. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. Now, your question at the start of all of this about remembering purpose, it was a very good one, and I don't want to lose sight of it. So let's pick up there again, shall we? Part of being human is the discovery of purpose. A soul's purpose and a human life purpose are connected, and yet they're not the same. A soul's purpose is about the growth and ascension of the soul. A human purpose is about the growth and ascension of the human.
1: And yet it feels like such a fine distinction.
0: Perhaps it's the simplicity of my answer that makes it seem that way. It's really much more complex, of course. You and your soul are in constant contact if you're open to receiving the connection, and even if you're not, actually.
1: So how does this connection work?
0: A soul's purpose translates into a human life purpose. Usually that's all good. Sometimes that's the struggle that you mentioned, and it's not without its dangers. Remember I said that the soul's purpose will be revealed based on the variables in the human's life. So the human life purpose may find its way in a form that meets with humanity's approval, or maybe it doesn't. You call someone a hero because you find their actions and beliefs appealing, and you call someone a villain because you disapprove of or even revile their actions and beliefs.
1: Conceptually, that's an accurate statement. I'm also sensing a foreshadowing here, Keeper. What does all of this mean for us?
0: What if the soul's purpose is some greater plan in the infinite, resulting in some horrifying act by the human? Because remember, the soul's purpose is engaged, regardless of the variables in the environment. But how is that even possible? The purpose in the soul's realm might be to awaken humanity or activate a segment of humanity, a nation, for example, or a gender and to awaken them in a way that humanity understands through something very human. Based on the variables, how that plays out could be very different from one soul to another.
1: So is this what you mean by the human soul connection and the environment interacting?
0: Yes. The first and second lenses.
1: Okay. So I thought of purpose as always being heroic or affirming. So frankly, I'm a bit stunned by this idea. If I understand what you're saying, then how a soul's purpose plays out here on earth could be thought of by us as either good or evil. Those being my words, depending on the variables at the time.
0: And for that particular human. So to clarify, the soul's purpose is always honorable. How humans create the story around the actions of that human is what creates those beliefs about good and evil. Let's use an example. Let me think. I'll ask you and well and everybody listening, So think of a human that you believe is heroic. How about Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi?
1: Definitely. And of course, he's a great hero.
0: So let me know when you've got everything you know about Gandhi firmly in your mind.
1: Got it. That was easy.
0: Good. Now think of someone on the other side of that heroism. Think of everything you know about, say, Hitler. Let me know when you've got that.
1: No, I don't think so. Hang on. In the same breath, Hitler and Gandhi.
0: Well, to be fair, one was a transcendental soul and the other was a young soul, if that helps. Yet they both came with the same soul's purpose. I want you to see how soul's purpose may look entirely different depending on the soul itself and on the variables in the human's life or environment.
1: Whoa. You are definitely challenging our stories here today, Keeper. And you're definitely challenging my story, too. I'm not really sure what the listener is thinking about right now, but I know what comes up for me when I even hear Hitler's name. It's just, it's a huge thing to comprehend.
0: I do understand, Jeff. Okay. Keep going. Keep talking. A soul's purpose is designed to be an awakener or an inspiration or an activator of humanity. Did they both do that? I think they did in very different ways. For example, what was Gandhi's purpose?
1: We'll back up first. Aren't you going to ask me to guess which soul was which?
0: It should be quite apparent to anybody that Gandhi was a transcendental soul and Hitler was a young soul. I trust that was going to be your answer.
1: (laughs) It was. It's just I don't recall you talking about transcendental souls last time. So can you tell us, what does it mean to be a transcendental soul?
0: Yes, that is an important detail for this conversation. Thank you. A transcendental soul is a teaching soul with a lesson about the greater connectivity of the universe. It's usually a soul that has completed all of its lifetimes on Earth. Does that help?
1: It does, yes. Thank you. Okay, so then I'd say that Gandhi's purpose was to use nonviolence as a way to obtain India's freedom from Great Britain. Sound right?
0: That's a good life purpose statement. Now, what was his soul's purpose?
1: You want me to answer that?
0: Oh, you don't get to be wrong, Jeff. We're just playing with the questions.
1: So if I had to guess, and it appears I do... Mm.
0: I'd say it was helping
1: an oppressed people find their strength through uh, a very different way of making change in the world. Actually, you know what, Keeper? That sounds a lot like what's going on in the world right now with the indigenous peoples and the pipeline companies.
0: Yes, that's an interesting parallel, and we'll talk about that more in due course. You should know that history repeats itself until it's no longer necessary to repeat it. In the case of Gandhi, he was sharing his soul's purpose to awaken humans from despair and oppression. Did you know that Mahatma means great soul? That's something of a spoiler alert. I believe that's the expression you used last time. And yet most humans aren't even aware of that. When Gandhi said that to lose oneself in the service of others is joyful, he was expressing his purpose. And there's also something else he said that's relevant here. He said, truths are one, paths are many. What does that mean to you?
1: It means that there's more than one way to the truth. And that feels evident in all the ways people are using their voices these days. They're creating many different ways to, uh, to awakening and consciousness, although even that seems to me like it's separateness sometimes. Everyone seems to be doing his or her own thing. No one feels really connected,
0: you know? There are lots of stories there. So hold that thought. I'd like to go back to the soul's waiting room for a moment. I want to add that when a soul takes on a purpose that accepts suffering or causes suffering, it's considered a courageous soul in your language, heroic even. There's a gathering of energy in the realm when one of these souls begins its journey.
1: And why is that? What I mean by that is, okay, I get when the human's going to suffer, but to cause suffering. I'm not sure what you mean by
0: that. Oh, why one and not the other? Because Mm -hmm. life will be hard for that human either way, perhaps even intolerable. And we all know that suffering in the human realm is real. So let's quickly add ego and variables of lesser than and better than. These play a huge part in all of this. Even if there's a plan to that purpose, it may not turn out as we hoped or expected.
1: So that's why we were talking about Hitler.
0: Yes. And you should know that this third dimension energy that I experience when we speak is dreading the next conversation. Dreading, yes, not wanting to continue for fear of something terrible happening.
1: Yes, that's uh, a great definition keeper, yes.
0: So please know that there is some dread through this voice about having this conversation with humanity, because it's not an easy conversation to have with humans. I can't think at the moment of anyone more polar, and I can't think of a deeper wound in humanity. Well, actually, I can think of wounds on the same scale, but not by one individual human. So this human, the one we call Hitler, he was an incredibly powerful speaker, and he had the ability to convince people that he alone could bring them out of their suffering and misery. In fact, it was his soul's purpose to do so.
1: Wait a minute. By creating genocide?
0: His soul's purpose was actually to bring the German people out of despair and oppression, just as Gandhi's purpose was to bring his people out of despair and oppression. Because the conditions of despair and oppression existed in both situations, it was one of the variables. Here's where the environment comes into play, that second lens. In this case, the variable in history was the economic hardship for the German people after they lost the war. They were ready to believe anything or anyone who promised them that there was a solution to alleviate the despair and depression.
1: And if I remember my history correctly, losing the war was something the Germans never imagined could happen to them.
0: Well, yes, it was certainly something of a disorienting event. Neither could they imagine the global punishment that followed. Hundreds of thousands of Germans died during that war. not actually unusual for wartime, but another quarter million died later due to starvation and plague because of the trade blockades. And Germany was so dependent on imports at the time, they were incredibly vulnerable, you might say. So the German people were in their own stages of grief, which sets the context for the events that followed. And what followed is important in this day and time for the world to know right now.
1: And you know what's coming up for me right now, Keeper, when you say this is they were struggling,
0: they lost the war.
1: And frankly, that's too bad. And murdering millions of people because you didn't get your way. Come on, this is a case where the means can never justify the end. Um, I don't even feel like I can even talk about this right now.
0: Jeff, I set this context not to change opinion and certainly not to intentionally open old wounds, but to help you and your listeners understand how the environment helped to create what was to come next. Well, all three lenses did actually. I'm not about asking for compassion or sympathy or a statement made in anyone's defense, because those emotions that you're displaying are all your human emotions and not ours. I'm offering long-term perspective about the events of that time because they are so relevant to today.
1: You know, it's interesting what's happening here on on these particular programs, keepers, that I don't feel as much like an interviewer as just, I don't know, maybe a representative of the people, and, and there's a lot to to get shocked about and surprised about here. So I do appreciate the clarification there because this is a really deep wound in the history of humankind.
0: I understand I do have to speak of it in human terms. And at the same time, I have to share what I can about the lenses. Speech and words can actually be really awkward things at times, Jeff.
1: Yes, yes, for us too. And usually they're getting us in trouble even, even when we think we're using them correctly.
0: So please keep correcting my use of them if needed. So continuing on, if I may, in addition to what happened to the German people, there were other disorienting events manufactured by those rising in power. They saw that the uncertainty and despair of the German people, and they chose to profit from it. Many variables for many people coming together at a time when the German people themselves were desperate for salvation.
1: What were some of those events?
0: Oh, things like false news reports of attacks and threats, creating an enemy that supposedly was planning to further humiliate the German people when there was so little or no resilience left in them. Then the third stage of grief, which is anger, replaced denial and isolation. Quite a bit of what you know of history during this time was actually manipulated by those in power in order to frighten the population it could never have controlled otherwise. And I'm sure you know that fear is a great manipulator.
1: I'm still on fake news.
0: Let's see. We've got fake news. We've got fear.
1: Why is this sounding so familiar to things right now? Can you share some examples of what
0: happened during that time? The burning of the Reichstag building is one historic example. It was the seat of power in Germany, and the Nazis burned it so they could step in and be the saviors, showing people how threatened they were by their enemies and how the Nazis were the only ones who could protect them. That's how the concentration camps began, actually. People were told they were meant for their enemies, those who didn't belong to the um, master race. And that's in quotes, Jeff, in case it helps.
1: Air quotes for master race.
0: So that's all in your human history, and there's no secret, by the way. So your listeners can do their own research on that if they like. Your listeners should also look at the internment of Japanese Americans in the 1940s. Different variables, yet a very similar response to fear.
1: Interesting. Yes, thank you. Uh, Definitely going to do some research on that. So getting back to our point here, this was a soul's purpose at work. I mean, it's
0: hard to imagine. Here's where I hesitate, Jeff, because human lives are your lives, and I never want my words to be misconstrued or judged as anything but an offering of perspective and a deep respect for humanity and all that's human.
1: <laughs> Thank you, and don't worry, Keeper. Big shoulders. Got, uh, got big shoulders here, so, so go ahead and lay it on me.
0: History has the potential to repeat itself in your world right now, and that's a truth, not an opinion. What happened in Germany happened at a time when there was insufficient consciousness to stop the horrific events, and there was enough despair and uncertainty for intelligent human beings to grasp onto anything hopeful, even something that sacrificed another group of humans in the bargain. One of your historians called it being driven into the arms of the devil. Now, you might say that's impossible. Yet Even today, one of the questions humans still ask is, how did they let that happen? Note the use of they, separate from responsibility or accountability. No snowflake in an avalanche ever feels responsible, Jeff. Your human poet and aphorist Stanislav jerzy said that.
1: So let me get this straight. If there was insufficient consciousness, are you saying that we couldn't have stopped it? I mean, I know we didn't, but that we couldn't have?
0: Once you reach a tipping point in the lenses, it's more and more difficult for the lenses to recover. And sometimes they can't. Let's face it, it took 12 years for what you call the Allies to stop this arc of genocide in human history. I'm noticing that we're spending far more time on this than on Gandhi. Just wanted to point that out, Jeff.
1: Yes, and that's because it's not the same thing.
0: But what if it were uh, the same thing, I mean? I need to challenge you just a bit here, Jeff. We happen to be on opposite ends of an opinion or a perspective. You see things through the eye of a human. Well, I see things through the eyes, the virtual eyes, if you like of a soul. You can't stand in my place, and I can't stand in yours. And yet we continue to talk about this with courtesy and respect on both sides. Why is that? Pausing to just contemplate that, Keeper.
1: Um, I'm going to say it's probably curiosity that's driving it. Obviously, I know that your perspective has value. It's adding to my story. And you seem to think that my perspective has some value too. Is that correct?
0: Well, exactly. And yet I don't fear you or hate you for your perspective. I'm curious about you, even though your opinion and experience differ from mine.
1: That's something we humans don't always get.
0: Now, there is a curious perspective, isn't there? It's a third dimension perspective, by the way. Let me say this before we lose our momentum. The genocide of all those humans occurred at a time when there were only a few souls on Earth in their human life purpose that were able to stand against the genocide as a mobilized force. That's the secret, Jeff. And I know you want me to share more secrets. It's all about the coming together to act together. Without it, you get 12 human years of atrocities and genocide. Now, there were many individuals who stood up and spoke up, and I'm eager to share some of those stories, if you like. It may help the arc of the conversation have a bit of relief right now. Uh, Did you know that a handful of French citizens were able to stop Hitler from climbing the Eiffel Tower by cutting the power cables to the elevator? They half hoped he might take the stairs and fall to his death. Did you know that?
1: First time I'm hearing of it. So uh, tell us what happened. I mean, did he climb?
0: No, he chose not to climb all of those stairs. So that small handful of people actually protected their Eiffel Tower. It was never tainted by his energy. And then there was a prisoner of war, a major in the Allied armed forces. He passed endless hours of imprisonment, creating beautiful embroideries. You ever hear about him?
1: Embroideries? Uh, Keeper, what's going on here? Why are you telling me that?
0: Because what looked like stitching in his embroidery, things like his name and the rank, also included a lot of Morse code. Over and over and over again, he embroidered God Save the King and Fuck Hitler into the stitching.
1: (laughs) Whoa, keeper.
0: And the best part (laughs) is because the Germans liked his work so much, they proudly put it on display.
1: (laughs) All right. Dropping the F-bomb was a little unexpected from you, by the way. Okay, I get it. And I am laughing with you. I, I just. I'm not laughing at the situation because it's not a laughing matter.
0: Oh, Jeff, there's a humor in the human spirit even on the darkest days. Imagine how that major laughed when they hung his artwork. They had no idea what it said. Oh, and remember, Gandhi himself said, if not for my sense of humor, I would have died long ago. I recall one story in which Gandhi was asked if his clothes were the proper attire to meet a king. Do you know what he said? He said, Do not worry about my clothes. The king has on enough clothes for both of us. (laughs) See, he always (laughs) retained his sense of humor.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't have expected Gandhi to have a sense of humor. Love it. All right, and getting back to Germany. There were rebels, yes? But none who could actually stop the genocide.
0: No, there was no mobilization. So going back to your point, Jeff, about today's evolutionaries all creating their own work and their own stories, they will begin to realize soon that they must co-create in order to create change in the world. They've been building a bridge to something greater in due course, and that time is coming.
1: So there were individual rebels, but just not enough to mobilize, as you're calling
0: it. Many humans have used their own voices in the only way that they knew how to, to speak up against what was happening. Shostakovich's Symphony Number no. 7, for example, or Charlie Chaplin's The Dictator. The voices of so many other artists also spoke through their art form.
1: Yeah, art is always a powerful voice. And even today, many examples of that now. I I do wonder, though, so, so what should we conclude here? Recalling the last time you talked about the types of souls on Earth and how that shifted as the evolution of humanity shifted. But now you're saying there weren't enough souls to take out Hitler or the Nazis. So I'm a little confused. If there's always a need being filled, why wasn't this anticipated more souls sent to help us? Did the soul's realm or all that exists without explanation turn its back on us, or or did it screw up?
0: Jeff, here's an answer to your question about the divine order of things, or perhaps we should call it the divine chaos. There was a great energy in the soul's realm at the time, encircling Earth and humanity. We held it all in our energy, you might say, and you need to know that. Here's the thing. There just weren't enough enlightened souls on Earth. Now, sometimes that's by design because there's a greater purpose at stake. And sometimes it's because the unexpected variables play out. We can't smite the ground and produce a million fully grown humans, all heroes designed to save the day when that happens. It would be nice if we could, but we just can't.
1: So you can't change events once they're in motion. I mean, if I understand that correctly, then chaos does exist in the soul's realm as well.
0: Ah, that's a very powerful question. Chaos exists everywhere. Even the spirit and soul's realm can experience a disorienting event now and again.
1: Hmm, interesting the plot thickens.
0: I'm pleased you remembered that expression. Just to be clear, it was all that exists without explanation. And I'm curious about the other thing you said that we screwed up.
1: Well, no disrespect intended, Keeper. Uh, I can explain that another time, perhaps. I'm just trying to understand all this and the concept of variables.
0: Well, any soul can change the world, Jeff, if that's its purpose, or if a powerful variable comes into play and the environmental or evolutionary lens is ready for it. I'm glad you brought up variables again, because variables were definitely at play. And they were ego-driven variables, as it happens. And just to go back to your point about stopping the Holocaust, there were many incarnated souls who stood up as humans. Oscar Schindler, Stefania Podgorska, Feng Shan Ho, a minute. Giorgio Perlaska.
1: Keeper, who are these people? I mean, we know of Schindler, but who are the others? Because I don't think most of us have ever heard of them.
0: Ah, they're the stories that are often obscured by other stories in your realm. And I fear we've digressed again because this topic is so provocative. All this to make the point about the first lens, that a soul's purpose and a human purpose are connected, and that evil deeds on earth do not begin as evil intentions in the soul's realm.
1: Even Hitler? Keeper, I got to say that this is well, well,
0: I use Hitler it. in the Holocaust because it's so extreme. It's such an enormous wound, as you call it, and it's universally known. We could easily have talked about wounded knee or Hiroshima or slave trade, human trafficking, 9-11, other world wars. Certainly there were variables at play in all of these, and that's simply one person at the helm.
1: And unfortunately, too many examples of times we've done harm to each other. And the warning is that history is going to repeat itself if we're not careful.
0: Even today... You have to ensure that any humans marginalizing others are unable to mobilize faster than the ones who see that as an offense to humanity. And yet variables and ego will always be part of these conversations, Jeff.
1: Which is why our conversation is so important. I get it. You know, Keeper, perhaps you are the voice of reason among all those voices speaking out right now. Keeper, you're like a voice to help us mobilize, as you call
0: it. Let me ask you something. Because as a messenger, I'd like to survive this message and have your listeners engaged in this conversation for the sake of their own life purposes.
1: That seems an odd thing to say. I mean, what do you mean that you like to survive this message?
0: When we talk more about messengers and messiahs, you'll understand, I promise you.
1: Well, I'm certainly listening, Keeper. What did you want to ask me?
0: What if no one ever talked about the Holocaust or Hitler again because it's so painful? What if your history books eradicated it? What if there were no memorials to it?
1: No. I, I mean, that I would just be wrong. It's got to be there because it happened. We've already got history books filled with stories that slant the reader to a particular perspective. And there are already stories that are left out of these books that our children read. Stories that they're never going to learn about history. Let me come to a Canadian example. Think of all the First Nations scoop children from the 60s to the 80s. Literally thousands of them taken from their homes in order to make them more civilized, I don't know, Christian, more white. To
0: commit another genocide.
1: And yet we didn't know anything about it. I'm a living example of this, of that education or the lack of that education.
0: So if I didn't talk about it today, that would be wrong from my perspective or from a soul's perspective. That's all I really wanted to say.
1: Can I ask one last thing about this? When you talk about a soul having a contract for its human life, would that also include the people who lost their lives in the Holocaust? where do they fit into all of this?
0: Ah, that's a very important question. You're asking me if they're collateral damage. The answer is no. Those souls are in their souls contract. Any soul that chooses a truncated incarnation is considered heroic in our realm. And notice I use the present tense. They are heroic souls because they continue on in all that exists without explanation. They are the higher frequency that you just can't see anymore. They are souls who participated in this awakening of humanity. I wonder if I could offer a little bit of solace here. Yes, I can actually. In an unprecedented energetic commitment, these souls all made a contract to return as their human descendants. So this time will never be forgotten in the history of humanity.
1: Okay, so wait. I just I've, I've got to share a personal story here, uh, stepping out of my role as interviewer to some extent. I'm a grandchild of Holocaust survivors. My maternal grandfather was the youngest of 24 kids. And post-war, my family only knows of three that survived, including him. So are you saying that if I lost someone, or even my entire family in the Holocaust,
0: then your soul may be one of those souls? I promise secrets today, Jeff, or at least anything that I could share. So let me ask you, how do you remember the events of that time? Is it in a deeply spiritual way, not just what you read or hear? Remember it as if it's in your soul, too. I'm conscious of how overwhelming this may be, Jeff. I want you and your listeners to understand this relationship so completely before we move on to other things. Because it's the foundation of everything. Gandhi and Hitler are polarities when it comes to human life purpose, even though there was an underlying soul's purpose about awakening humans to rise from oppression or despair. And even with that underlying soul's purpose, they were here to learn very different things as soul types. So similar purpose, yet their soul and human stories were completely different. And stories in general were different at that time. That's why some humans fought against the Nazis and others joined them. And that's what I'm trying to explain to you and your listeners. It's all about your stories. Those are the variables.
1: First off, Keeper, I just want to thank you. Um, As you can gather, at the moment, I'm a little overwhelmed. I mean, you know, this runs through generations in my family. So, Keeper, I don't know about you, but I I sense there's a much-needed break coming up here. You're listening to Voice of Evolution Radio. My guest is the Keeper of Soul's Purpose, and we're talking about the duality of purpose, that is to say the human-soul connection. And we're using Gandhi and Hitler in the same breath. Yeah, just that going on. And the Keeper is sharing some significant messages with us and warnings we should be heeding. Keeper, I want to thank you, first of all. At this moment, you probably can tell I'm still overwhelmed. It's just about how our stories can take on a similar purpose and change everything about that purpose because of what you call the variables.
0: Yes, and the soul type, of course. It's a plot twist, as you might say.
1: Well, I know you said that you were here to offer perspectives, and uh, I guess for me personally, I didn't realize how difficult it was going to be to try on a different perspective like this. All right, gathering myself, and okay. We talked about history repeating itself. I can't help thinking that much of the world is in a state of uncertainty now. You know, there's been a lot of comparison going on lately related to our conversation today, and not with Gandhi. That's all I'm going to say. What can you say about that?
0: Well, I just said that no one person is currently responsible for what's happening in the world. So let's be careful about comparisons like that. It only adds to the hysteria and making wrong and the fear. That doesn't mean that the events leading up to the Holocaust or another Holocaust cannot be repeated. That is a warning. Yes, that is a warning.
1: Can you say more about that, Keeper?
0: The second lens, the environment, suggests a very similar set of variables at play. People are desperate, in survival mode, believing themselves to be overlooked and ignored. Anything's possible under those circumstances with the right or wrong variables. There was a phrase used on your planet, make, uh, make something great again, something like that.
1: It was make America great again, referring to the
0: election in the States. Well, what perfect synchronicity. There's a purpose. Make something great again. But what's the story that's being told and whose story is it? Did you know there was a similar phrase used in Germany back in the day? I believe it was, um, oh, what was it? Oh, yes. Make Germany great again.
1: You've got to be kidding me.
0: Oh, no. No, I'm not, Jeff. So what are the variables at play? Answer that and you have your answer about history repeating itself.
1: This is a moment when I wish all of humanity was listening to you, Keeper.
0: Well, like I said before, those who are meant to hear it, will, and that's all that any of us can do, and I'm not the only voice saying this, although I may be the only, um, what was it you called me? Otherworldly creature? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, like souls in the waiting room, humans are drawn to what they're supposed to see and hear, and they're always in choice about their actions. I want to add that humanity is much more awake today and better able to mobilize thanks to the connectivity of your internet. Don't let anyone touch that internet of yours, by the way. That came to me as something I really must say and realize it isn't all about America and its politicians, although it wasn't all about Germany and its politicians either, until it was. So here's the caveat, not intended to create fear, by the way, there's no need for fear, it just gets in the way. There is still a danger of you humans wanting so much to recover from oppression and despair that you may be willing to sacrifice each other to get it.
1: No, shit, come on. I just, um, I mean, how is that
0: even possible, that we're
1: willing to sacrifice each other to get it? Knowing what we know about the past, just to me, sorry, it's not possible.
0: But it is possible because it happened in the past, remember? Why didn't they stop it? Well, there was no they back then, and there's no they on Earth right now, as it happens. Also know that true evil in the human realm needs only two conditions to exist. The first is when the designated evil believes with all its might that it's the righteous and only answer. It never believes itself to be evil, like the actor who plays at evil. He creates a totally unbelievable character. The actor who believes his character is righteous and heroic. That's the one you should fear the most. The second condition is when those who are protesting or fighting against the so-called evil become ego-driven. I think you said it last time we spoke. There's a potential for evil on both sides.
1: Mm, yes. There's a lot of activity on both sides these days,
0: and they're, they're both propagating fear.
1: And good to evil seems
0: evil. Sometimes it's hard to tell which is which, if you know what I mean. And that's good, Jeff. I like that. Good to evil Seems evil. Yes. Thanks.
1: I can't take credit for it. It's a quote actually from a Ray Bradbury book. uh, Something wicked this way
0: comes. (laughs) Yes, it does, Jeff. Uh,
1: And that warning didn't
0: go unheard. You mentioned indigenous people of the world earlier, Jeff. I want to point out the stark contrast. There's no ego here. Of course, here are many ages of souls. But in general, here's a balance of humility and connection to the natural world in their DNA. Here's a consciousness that's been waiting for this moment in time, just like this when humanity is better able to hear the message. And it's another example of messengers surviving the message. Humanity would do well to pay attention.
1: So, lots of messages in our environment, and we better be listening carefully in order to choose what we believe, correct?
0: Yes, I like that.
1: How will we know if it's happening again? I mean, what will the signs be?
0: If it's happening again, Jeff?
1: It's a legitimate question. I mean, you are really holding my feet to the fire this time around, and uh, frankly, I need answers.
0: I suppose. And all you have to do is look for separatism, marginalization, hate, and violence because of the differences inherent in your species, because of the environment, evolution, too, by the way. And that's another topic on my list for further discussion. It's about doing harm to others. It's an environment in which humans no longer feel safe to speak, to act or to think in any way other than the behaviors or beliefs of the current political or religious regime.
1: Well, that is happening now, and frankly, it's been happening for some time, Keeper.
0: So, all it requires is a human or a group of humans with the influence to sway the masses to their thinking, or to awaken the sleeping human population to believing their time has come.
1: And then what's next?
0: Well, there's always a tipping point to everything, Jeff. Until that tipping point is reached, you can always turn things around if you choose to. Once a tipping point is reached, there is no telling what will take to stop it or even whether you can stop it.
1: At the risk of trying your patience, Keeper, I just the question that comes to mind is, so what are we going to do right now before the tipping point, uh, unless we're already there?
0: No, you're not there yet, Jeff, but there's no reason to be complacent. You must all participate in your own lives, no exceptions. Many of you are already working to co-create your future. And it's a stepping stone to true collaboration that's yet to come. Everything is unfolding as it's meant to, I assure you.
1: But not without consequence.
0: Oh, no, not without human consequence. Well, no, not without other consequences either.
1: I want to go back to this idea that a soul's purpose is always well-intentioned. And in addition to the type of soul, it really depends on the variables about the human and the environment that make a life's purpose that's either evil or good. Have I got that right?
0: Yes, Jeff, you said it brilliantly this time.
1: That was a mouthful. (laughs) Uh, But what happens when that human dies and the soul returns to your realm? Could there be a punishment waiting there? For example, it would give me great satisfaction. What's the German word? Schadenfreude? To know that Hitler went straight to
0: hell after he died. Are you talking about the man or the soldier? The man ceased to exist when he died, and the soul returned to our realm to become part of the energy of all that exists without explanation.
1: So, no hell.
0: Heaven? Hell? Paradise, Hades, they're all part of your organized religions created by man. If the idea of a heaven or a paradise, or moksha or nirvana, is part of your human story, then you'll do your best to meet the entry requirements in this lifetime. Otherwise, the terrors of hell, Hades, samsara, or even the Chinvat Bridge await you. Uh, What's the Chinvat Bridge? That's the bridge of separation, as it's also known in the Zoroastrian religion. It's the bridge of judgment that all souls must walk. For the righteous, it leads to a beautiful maiden. But for the less than righteous, it turns sideways and becomes like a razor.
1: Seriously, a razor? Ouch. I think it was Tom Lehrer who wrote about sliding down the razor blade of life. But in the afterlife, I mean, that's really hell.
0: Well, probably the most accurate story about a hell is from the Tibetan Book of the Dead. As the title suggests, the book deals with dying, or more accurately, with the states of between. And there are many betweens for a soul and a human. Sleeping is an example of a between, by the way. The book teaches that after death, the soul exists in something called the bardo for 49 days, in a between that can lead to nirvana or back to into rebirth. That between is similar to our re-entry, processing and discovering, but that's where the similarity ends.
1: So to summarize no hell. I mean it's throughout the entire Bible and still no hell. So so what can you say about that?
0: Well, 40 different authors wrote the Bible over a period of 1500 years, your years that is. There's a unity that binds all the chapters and verses together, but it was written by humans, all men by the way. These men felt the messages were God-given. I don't refute that, and yet they were humans, and humans are subject to all the variables we've discussed. Come to think of it, the same is true of the other holy books, too. The word might have come from God or the prophet as it was told and retold and eventually written by men. That's not a bad thing. Neither does it put the message into jeopardy. We just need to know this when we speak about it in absolutes.
1: So if I get this straight, then, so the Bible, or even the Quran, is messages from God interpreted by humans uh, using their own stories.
0: Stories are how everything began. So let me go on and say that the spirituality of belief and organized religion are two different things. We're actually continuing our conversation about extreme polarities when it comes to spirituality and organized religion. So this is good. Spirituality allows a vast space for many beliefs about how we're all connected and how we should live among each other and find meaning in the world. Organized religion is about right and wrong and rules, what's true, what's false, what behaviors or rituals must be followed or we have to be punished. The one path versus the many paths that Gandhi spoke of. Can you hear the difference? I can
1: hear the difference. Yes, thanks. I'm more of a spiritual guy, but uh, I did grow up in a family that followed a couple of different organized religions.
0: So there is a parallel here about old and young souls and spirituality and religion. Can you guess what it is?
1: Actually, Keeper, what's coming to me is that old souls sound a lot like spirituality, while young souls, with their need for rules and structure, punishment, and reward, wow, it is sounding like organized religion, isn't it?
0: Oh, I so enjoy these conversations of ours, Jeff. Now, this is going to be a gross generalization, and yet more truth than not. Young souls introduced religion, old souls introduced spirituality because they're willing to be the mystery of the spiritual, and they don't require the hard and fast rules or the impending threats of hell. Now, again, I'm generalizing, and I'm not making the young souls wrong or the old souls right. You and your listeners must understand that some things are true, whether you believe them or not.
1: They're exactly where they're supposed to be.
0: Exactly. Now, if we add the environment, the second lens, to this story, this messenger wants you to know that religion was created specifically to suppress the divine feminine which until then found its power in spirituality. Religion was actually designed to wipe the feminine out of existence in order to establish a male-dominated infrastructure, at least in what you call the civilized world. And another kind of genocide then began. There's more to say about this and how this must all come back into balance. But since you asked. Jeff?
1: Yes, I'm here, sorry. And it's just, you know, just kind of like that is, is the way you say it <laughs> we're talking about destroying the divine feminine. I don't know what's coming up for our listeners, but, but here's what's coming up for me. Besides trying to remember to breathe, that is. All the things we learned as kids from our Sunday school, Bible class, Hebrew school, whichever. In all of those places, we were taught to fear God. So we're pretty much too scared to sin, uh, except when we did, of course.
0: Keep breathing, Jeff. I assume it was all about where you'd end up when your human life was over. Understand that the idea of punishment and reward is just a human idea. You're all part of the infinite. How would punishment teach a soul anything? May I ask you that?
1: Maybe to teach them not to repeat an action.
0: A human, you mean? The fear of a hell if you don't behave a certain way.
1: <laughs> You're challenging me today, Keeper. Um, yeah, I, that, that's what it is.
0: Well, does it work in the human realm? Uh, punishment, I mean?
1: Sometimes. All right, not without some consequences. And as I pause and reflect, often no, not so much.
0: Interesting. So here we are back at soul's purpose again. Souls come and go in the human realm. They're drawn to what intrigues them and they're called to what's needed of them. The soul experiences the human realm in order to expand, not to diminish itself. As I said, the soul is often sent to the human realm with a difficult task to complete for the sake of something greater, in addition to its own experience or learning. There are always variables, most of which come from human third-dimensional ego. It's like a virus, and there's no antidote or vaccine. Yes, I think that's how I describe it. It's a virus. We're here to experience what happens when we're under its influence. So these things you humans punish, if they were truly that soul's purpose, shouldn't we punish them? Are you asking me? I suspect that's what you call a rhetorical question. Would you even consider committing a soul to eternal damnation because its purpose served a greater purpose?
1: Even if the human realm doesn't get how it's being served by that human's actions, to use your word?
0: Are you asking from a human or a soul perspective? Remember, Jeff, we were at opposite ends of perspective about this conversation. You and I couldn't be more different, and yet we couldn't be more alike at the same time. There's much more to say about this. Capital punishment incarceration, for example, but we're not going there today.
1: No, there's not enough time for that today. Um, hopefully another time. So you're telling me that the souls acting on their purpose often do things that we humans punish. They are not punished in the soul's realm.
0: Correct. And it's not for you or me to say what those things are. Returning to the soul's realm always includes re-entry and processing the variables that impacted their actions as humans, and then discovery. I don't believe there's ever been a soul that incarnated with the intent to do harm.
1: And yet we do all the time. Keeper, if there's no hell, dare I ask about the devil?
0: Oh, Jeff, that's a story into itself. But I'll give you a hint and say, your stories describe the devil as a fallen angel who fell because of pride, or ego as you might choose to call it, wanting to be the infinite in order to control the universe.
1: And you said before, Keeper, we're already part of the infinite. So am I supposed to draw a conclusion about that and our lives here on Earth? Because uh, I am drawing a conclusion, Keeper.
0: Well, remember the pull of third dimensional being, Jeff, and everything is added to the infinite energy of the realms. I know this goes against a lot of what your listeners may know as truth, and my truth just happens to be different than yours.
1: And there seems to be room for all truths, Keeper. Let me go back to what you just said, added to the infinite energy of the realms. This reminded me of the Akashic Records and the Keepers. The history of the universe is a library in the ether.
0: Many names, all useful. Part of the everything that you'll remember one day, in case you need a reminder.
1: I got it. Thanks. Okay, getting back to the list.
0: And uh, wow,
1: that's where we started way back when. With this list, Keeper, how do we know what's needed? Um, That the world needs a Gandhi or something else?
0: The list comes to me. Whatever's on the list is needed.
1: Yeah, but where does it come from? I mean, haven't you ever wondered simply just to know? I am quite surprised that you just accept the list like we accept our stories.
0: Well, we already know what's ours to know until it's time to know more. As I've said, if there's a purpose on the list, there's a need for that purpose on Earth. And while there may be an intended outcome held in the infinite, I assure you, we're no more privy to what that is than you are.
1: Well, I am aware that we're coming to the end of our time today, and uh, Keeper, you've been very gracious in answering my questions today. It feels as though we're emptying the ocean.
0: Well, we've made a good start. There is so much contained in the energy of your world, Jeff. I have to say, I worry we may not be able to get to all of it.
1: Are you saying there's a deadline?
0: Oh, oh, sorry. No, I I must be careful not to alarm you there. No, none that I'm aware of. And yet I've said this before. It's still a critical time for humanity.
1: So what do you want humanity to take away from today's conversation?
0: Well, if I had to choose one thing, I would want humanity to own its ability to change the course of history and not to let history repeat itself in a way that does harm. It doesn't matter where on the planet that is, by the way. That feels very important in this moment. And one more thing, if I may?
1: (laughs) Of course. You can choose more than one thing.
0: At the same time, pay attention to what's playing out with the indigenous peoples of the world. The Gandhi factor, let's call it that.
1: I I wrote down what you said earlier, the, the Gandhi quotes, and it's a good time it seems to repeat them. So number one, that to lose oneself in the service of others is joyful. And he also said, truths are one, paths are many.
0: Yes, the nonviolent resistance path is one of the most difficult paths to walk on. And remember, because you said it, evil on any side is an easy path when separation's valued.
1: I'm still amazed at what we covered in this, this one conversation today. And if I may. Yes? You know, it seems pretty easy to create the circumstances in which a human's ego is capable of destroying us and our world. I mean, why is it that the holy and inspirational ones come along so rarely? For example, the Gandhis and the Martin Luther King Juniors of this world. And often they're not even surviving long enough to affect the positive change they believe in.
0: We'll talk about messiahs and messengers in another conversation. That's what I meant when I said I hope to survive the message. Remember, good to evil seems evil. Thank you, Keeper. It's my privilege, Jeff. And I thank you for providing the forum and the willingness to listen.
1: And that's our privilege. And thanks always to our listeners. This is Voice of Evolution Radio. I've been speaking with the keeper of soul's purpose and he and I will continue to explore this message to humanity through the three lenses, the human soul connection, the environment and evolution. And if you have any questions that you'd like me to ask the keeper or want to continue the conversation with me, please reach out to me at jeff at voiceofevolutionradio.com or you can connect with Linda. It's Linda at com. Don't think the keeper's got an email address yet. So until next time, you know what? I think I'm starting to believe him. Jeff, great job holding the content in the space today. Wow. I mean, really great job. Cueing music. Here we go.